Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Come on in. Find your way to a seat. We want to get our celebration started today. It's great to see you. Hope you had a great week. Hope you had a great Valentine's week, maybe even for some of you that uh, that would be that was a great experience. Um, and uh, looking forward to the days that are ahead for us. I I hope you have come today ready to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And our hope and our prayer is that that will be your experience today. I also hope that you received one of these on your way in. Please do take some time to look through that and uh, be up to date on things that are happening around here. As you can tell, there's lots of announcements in here. Um, some, some big ones that are, that are coming up. March the 11th is our one-year birthday as Woodland Life Center. It's our one-year anniversary in this space, and we want to celebrate that. So I hope that you will be very on purpose about being here that day and making sure that your neighbors are here that day. Um, and we just we, we want to celebrate what God has accomplished over this last year for sure, but we really want to celebrate what God is going to do and, and, and anticipate what he's going to accomplish in us and through us and, and through this space. So, so have your uh, heads up on that. That's March the 11th. And of course, we've got Easter weekend is uh, just a handful of weeks away from us today. And uh, all the great stuff that happens throughout that weekend, including our Passover Seder meal on Friday night, Good Friday, and then our Easter Sunday morning celebration. Um, we're setting a goal. We believe that we can get 400 people here Easter Sunday morning, and we'll be talking more about that with you uh, as, as the, the, the weeks uh, are approaching, but be praying over that weekend. We believe that it's going to be a tremendous celebration of Christ's death and resurrection, the salvation that he offers us through all of that. Um, our safety team, there's a couple announcements for, about our safety team. One I'm going to save for later, but one I want to talk about now. Uh, they, they want to offer a CPR training for anybody that's interested, okay? So if that is you, if you have any interest in CPR training, uh, I'm going to look in here. Can we, hey, Doug, is there any chance that right here on the fly, can you pull up the safety team slide? Um, that was scrolling during the announcements. So if you have any interest in CPR training, uh, we're trying to get that scheduled over the next couple of weeks. But what we need to know is how many are interested because that affects the per person price for that. So if that's something you need to do or are interested in doing, uh, there should be a picture popping up here any second here and there's going to be a phone number attached to Cyril Smith's name, and he needs to hear from you how many in your party are interested in joining us for that CPR training. I'm trying to ramble as much as possible, and uh, maybe maybe we'll get that. There it is. Yes. Okay. So if that's you, if you're interested or you might know somebody that is interested, 
please get this number down. Contact Cyril. You can text him or you can call him. And he just needs to know how many of us are going to be a part of that. And then he can get that scheduled um, and have a per person price tag attached to that training. Okay. And like I said, I'll, I'll talk about the other one a little bit later. Well, we want, certainly want to welcome you into our worship time today. I want to invite you to stand with us, greet one another. Let's welcome each other into the presence of the Lord and join together in celebration.
Father, we come this morning and our prayer is that you would have your way with us. Come have your way in us. Come work through us. For some, it's been just a hard week, discouraging week. For some, Father, we come rejoicing and thanking you. Whoever and wherever and from whatever we have come, we're reminded that we are all the same before you today. That we are your children, the sheep of your pasture. We ask, Father, that you would have your way in this church, in this community, in our lives today.
I can face tomorrow because he lives every fear is gone I know I know he holds my life my future is foundation there's a strength to know amen you may be seated it was the summer of my senior year of college and I was in a college in Oklahoma City And so mom and dad were in Africa. They were missionaries for 30 years. And so for me, having the opportunity that summer to go home, where for a lot of people, home meant Texas, Arkansas. For me, home meant 10,000 miles away where uh, I had been raised and where my home was. There was no email at that time, no, you know, no internet, no, there was nothing. So that tells you how old I am. There was nothing. And so going home after three years of college was huge. But I was really afraid to go home. Because for the three years living up to that time, I had strayed from the Lord. I knew the way, obviously. But the life that I knew I was supposed to live and wanted to live, somehow my struggles with homesickness, struggles with trying to fit in, just struggles with living when you're, you know, 18, 17, took over. And so I was living a double life, going to church, presenting the image, but really the rest of the time not living the way God wanted me to live, just living in sin. So I get home. And after a few weeks... I found myself thinking, I I can't do this anymore. I I can't. This is too hard by myself. So I found myself under a tree uh, in our yard. And I tried to pray, but I thought, God, I've just, there's just too much. I've strayed too far. I've gone too far. There is no way back. I've gone too far. I've done too much. It's too much. But somehow, God came into that place under that tree, and I was able to feel like I was at his feet at the foot of that cross. And I laid it all out. I repented. I asked forgiveness. I cried out to God that I don't want to live this double life anymore. I want to be with you again. I want to walk with you again. That moment I experienced for the first time in my 21 years 
what grace really meant. I understood the meaning of the cross for the first time, even though I had given my life to Jesus when I was six years old. But for the first time, I felt the boundless grace, the unconditional love that God gives us when we reach out. And then I was finally home. And so there is a scripture <coughs> that became my scripture. And it is in Romans. If you guys could put that scripture up if you have it. And we know this scripture. Everyone that's been a believer for any time knows this scripture. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, because I belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you, has freed me from the power of sin that leads to death. So that scripture, first verse, became my solid rock. And if any of you are feeling like you have gone too far from God, or you don't even know him, but you've done too much. How could he forgive what you have done? Just come to the cross. Just lay it down. Be free. let them wash over you will you talk to your heavenly father at the foot of the cross where grace and suffering meet you have shown me your love through the judgment you receive and you've won my heart and you've won you want 
definitely something that comes quickly to probably each of our minds. That thing that we continue to do that just draws us away from you, that separates us from your presence, that separates us from your hand, that makes us even feel like we can't even pray because we are going our own way and we know it so father we each lift that one thing to you this morning that way that one way that we are taking up our own plan that we are forcing our own thing that we are outright disobeying you and we know it Father, we lay it down and we realize that there is no condemnation, there is no shame, there is no guilt, that we are free, that we are alive, that we can be confident to pray and to come to you. We thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ that has bridged that separation, that has forgiven and paid for our debt. Thank you, Father. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain. It's free to all a healing stream. Flows from Calvary's mountain in the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever until my rapture. 
today. You are worthy of all praise, all glory, all honor. You are the Holy One. And we lift up your name today. We thank you for what you have already accomplished in our lives. We honor you for what you are accomplishing in our lives now. And by faith, we cling to a reality, to a truth 
that you will continue to accomplish your purposes in our lives in days, weeks, months, and years to come. We are yours. We are called by your name. You define us. Who you are defines us. What you are about defines us. We are yours. Thank you for the work of your cross that has empowered us to overcome. We stand here in a place of victory. We stand here today uh, with, with, with the reality of overcoming as a part of who we are, as a part of our reality, because you are the overcomer. You have helped us to overcome. Just as Hermine has shared her story, our stories resonate with that today. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is our celebration today. In the cross, until our raptured souls will find rest, regardless of what the rapture will or will not look like, we are going to see you again face to face. Heaven is our destination if we have believed on you. And that is, that is our joy today. That is the river of life that is flowing out of us today. Thank you for what you have done, what you're doing, and what you are going to do. You know our needs. You know the needs that are around us, the needs of our country and our world. We stand today with those that have yet been victimized again. And we're asking Holy Spirit that you will Help us to learn how to navigate this new reality, this new paradigm. Help us to remember that you are our defender. You are our protector. You are our hope. And it all rests in you. Pray for those families today, asking that you will turn their hearts and their minds to you, the comforter, their healer, carry them through this time. Pray for those that are in our church family that are suffering today. I pray for Luke Magistrelli right now who 
has torn his quad and the prognosis is he's going to be laid up for six weeks but we we thank you that you are our healer and we ask right now that you would begin to repair that torn quad that you would you would do an amazing work and reattach that quad to the knee today and bring strength back to him allow him to walk even without surgery I mean what glory would come to you what praise would come to you with with the accomplishment of such a healing work accomplish your purposes in his leg and we pray for Deja today Deja Maddie who's laid up in a hospital with tremendous pain and doctors are searching for what is going on you are our great physician bring healing into her body today or at least bring clarity to the staff as to what is taking place but may her and George and the family just realize that that hospital room right now is a sanctuary where they're meeting with you, where your presence is real there right now. Those are just a couple of examples of the needs that are in our church family today. You know us, you know our needs, you are the need meter. And we entrust our stuff to you today accomplish your good and pleasing and perfect will in all of it in Jesus name we pray and everybody said man you may be seated and as you're being seated I want to invite our ushers to prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offerings Jesus, we bring our gifts to you. You are our provider. We honor you with our tithes and offerings. Take what we have to use. Use them. Bless them. Multiply them. Accomplish your good and your pleasing and perfect will through them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And you've won my heart And you've won my heart Now I can trade these ashes in for beauty And wear forgiveness like a crown
so we've we've experienced another tragedy, um, another mass shooting, and these reports come to us, and they're so frequent now that it's quite easy for us to become numb to them. Um, and I, and I think our prayer today about asking God to help us learn how to navigate this this new reality this this new reality of something that used to be so infrequent and so horrible to now it's very frequent and just as horrible but it is the world in which we live in now and we have to realize that Every gathering place is a possible target. Um, even it, just a month ago, it was a church that was targeted. So um, this is just a, a great opportunity for me to once again thank our safety team, these, these guys that every week are standing in the gap for us, yes. It's obvious that our hope and prayer that these guys will just function as a small group and never have to function as a safety team. That's obviously our hope and our prayer. But I think we're realizing more and more and more, every time one of these stories, every time one of these events happens, it reiterates this new reality that we kind of have to wake up to and, and, and embrace. Um, so with that, I, I want to announce that next Sunday, we're at the, at the end of our service next Sunday, we're going to run a drill. A couple months ago, we ran, we ran a fire drill and, and that was great. Every, everything worked like clockwork. Our team has been practicing lockdown drills. And we really need to run one of those as a church family. My assumption is that just like me, you have never been to a church who has done a lockdown drill. Am I right? Okay. I'm not alone in this. So we're in this together. But I'm telling you that this is, it, it's really wise for us to do this. We need to make sure that we understand if something were to happen out in our parking lot, and I want you to know that our safety team is functioning in such a way that, that something should never get beyond our parking lot. Okay, and that is a tremendous rest that we can have in here. They're at work in such a way where it should never get beyond the parking lot. But we need to know what, it, what, what our response is going to look like if that were to take place. So we're just going to practice that next Sunday at the end of our service. I wanted to give you plenty of heads up. They want you to be surprised by it. 
And I really want you to plan for that. And I hope that you will come. I hope this doesn't scare you off. Okay? I hope that you will be here because really it is a way for all of us to kind of acknowledge that we can even be a target in, in our protected, precious community, in a protected, precious place like this. Even we, this can happen here. And I guarantee you if you were living in that town in Florida or if you're living in attending that Baptist church in Texas, they would have said the same thing that we're thinking right now. That would never happen here. So we, we are doing everything we can to be proactive to make sure that we're ready if that were to ever take place. I hope that's encouraging to you. I hope that brings you some hope and even a little bit more security. Ultimately, God has to be our defender, but we thank God that he's put some guys in place that can act on his behalf for us. So when you're heading out today, you see a guy with a little thing hanging out of his ear. Thank him again for what he did for us today. Thank them for what they've done for us today. And if you're interested in serving on this team, I would encourage you to talk to Cyril um, and, and see um, it, uh, what, what that will look like as far as joining in on that team. Okay, I hope that comes to you clear as mud. So that will happen next Sunday at the end of our service. I want to invite you to John chapter 8. If you brought your Bibles with you, John chapter 8. If not, it'll be up on the screen. Talking through another Jesus encounter. This one gets pretty testy. But we see a point in Jesus' ministry where he begins to have to confront the church leaders of the day, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, Ultimately, he's, he has to come nose to nose with these people. And as we know, it is these people that ultimately put a thing into place and condemn Jesus to his death. But chapter 8 of John, right at verse 12, we begin to see one of these testy times unfolding. When Jesus spoke again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Now this, by the way, just kind of comes out of a, a, a Jewish law that for... Uh, Somebody to be accused of something, there had to be uh, two witnesses. You know, it had to be two people that would corroborate that, th those words, that, that accusation. So it was common that there needed to be a second witness for such matters. The Pharisees seemed to turn this around. Obviously, Jesus is not being accused of anything, but they're turning around saying that he's got to have another witness to validate what it is that he is saying. So here's Jesus' response. Even if I testify on my own behalf, 
my testimony is valid. He begins to unravel their argument. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. You have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. So, so he's saying, look, I'm going to unravel your argument immediately. My own words can validate what I'm saying. But I'll just have you know that I do have another witness, and it is my Father. And I'll remind us that when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, the voice of God from heaven called out, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. People heard that voice. That validation physically actually happened. So, then they ask him, okay, where is your father? Where, where is your father? You, and, and, and Jesus says, you don't know me, and you don't know my father. If you knew me, you would know my father. And he really begins to cut to the heart of what's happening in the church leadership of the day. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. And this made the Jews ask, is he going to kill himself? So he responds, where I go, you can't come. You see, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If, if you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Okay? Who are you? Just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. Well, they did not understand that he was speaking about God the Father at this point. So he went on to say this. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, now he's offering a little prophecy, a little prediction. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, pointing to the cross, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And even as these words are coming out of his mouth, many are believing in him. So to the Jews who believed in him, he said this. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they responded, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. Now, how many in here think that that's historically accurate? 
Does anybody remember Egypt? Has anybody heard of the story of Exodus? Apparently, the church leaders of this day have failed to remember an entire book of their own Torah. We're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants. Yet even right now you are looking for a way to kill me. Because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me. A man who has simply told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham didn't do these things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. If God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You see, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding on to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to him. You do not belong to God. Then the Jews answered, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaim, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Speaking of your father Abraham, 
Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham. Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. That declaration was a revelation. A a revelation of the reality that Jesus is God. A part of the creating and sustaining God of all the universe. That that statement revealed, it, it equated him to and revealed that he was even involved in the story of Abraham and the story of Moses. Moses is at the burning bush. God is calling Moses to to go and free his people from slavery. And I love that in this particular argument, Jesus brings Moses right into the story. Because I'm telling you, when he said, I am, immediately those people are going to remember that phrase. They're going to connect the dots to Moses. Because they've just got done saying, we've never been slaves. And he just brings a little subtle reminder Remember that guy, Moses? Well, Moses replies to God, um, if, if I go to these people, who do I say you are? God says, I am the I am. In the midst of that dialogue, Moses says, you know what? I'm, I, I am not a good speaker I am not the one to do this. Surely there's somebody else for this job. And as you know, Moses finally relents. In, in the midst of this argument, this debate, Jesus reveals the truth about himself, and he reveals the truth about these Pharisees. These guys fundamentally believe that they're acting on behalf of the God. But really they've gotten into a routine, into a way of life that they're really just reflecting themselves. They're really just doing life their own way and they've, they've set up the system in such a way, manipulated the law in such a way that, it's, that it benefits themselves and their position and their leadership and their status in the community, in their religion. But they have ceased reflecting the truth about who God is and what he's about. And they're so blinded by this that even when Jesus is talking very plainly to them about what loving God should look like, about if they were really into him, they would recognize him. And he just simply points out, he's not your father. He is. The one who has been a liar from the beginning. He's the one you follow. He's the one you're really buying into. 
In fact, I'm pointing out to you in the midst of this conversation that I know what you're plotting. I know what you're thinking about. You're trying to have me killed. That's not from him. That's from him. That's your real father. A slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And if the son has set you free, you will be free indeed. You know, there's a tendency for us in the church to function like and feel like Slavery is still in effect. I realize we use the word servant, and we should. Jesus told us that, that his disciples would take on the role of, of servanthood, that we're, we're to be in servanthood mode. But somehow, I think the enemy, in his, in his deceitful ways, takes that to the nth degree in, in, in our hearts and our minds and, and tries to convince us that we're slaves, that somehow we've been enslaved again. When all along Jesus has intended for us to operate with total freedom, absolute freedom. Now, freedom does not mean that we do whatever we want. Because we are a surrendered people to Him and to His plan. So we still function inside of a framework. But that framework is in place so that we will become reflectors of who He is. This whole argument is happening because Jesus is trying to reveal to the leadership of the day, you, you are not reflecting truth anymore. Everything about who you are is reflecting the opposite of who God is. The people who believe in me are going to start reflecting him. You think you point to him, you think you talk to him, you, you think you're doing things his way, and I'm just simply telling you that who you are and what you do does not reflect him. I know him. I have been in his presence. You don't know him, and I know you don't know him. People that are experiencing real freedom in Christ function in such a way that they reflect him. I just think that's a terrific question for us to ask ourselves today. Are we reflecting Him? Is that the truth about us? In your private time this week, I would encourage you to ask the Father, to ask Jesus, 
what in my life is not reflecting you? What aspects in my life are not reflecting the freedom that I should be experiencing in you, with you, because of you? If the, Father, if, if the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. You see, the truth about me is that I am not. But I know I am. I'm I'm a lot like Moses. I mean, he, he, he basically said, I am not good enough for this. But because he knew I am, he proceeded accordingly. The truth about me, I am not. But I know I am. That, that, is our, that is our phrase. That, that, that is our reality. That is your truth. You can, you can say that with your own lips. I, I am not. In fact, normally, <clears throat> in our human dialogue, when we, when we say the words, I am not, there's usually a blank afterwards, and you can fill in that blank with whatever you want. I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not young enough. I don't know. Fill in the blank. Whatever your I am not is. That, that, it's a, that is, I think that is a statement of our reality. It is, is an honest assessment of ourselves. I am not, but the overcoming reality is I know I am. Jesus just simply says, whoever believes on me, me being the son, I will set you free and you will be free indeed. I think in our humanity, we, we try to accomplish this stuff in, our, in, in and of ourselves, in our own strength, in our own ideas, in our own abilities, in our own wisdom. And I remind us today, 1 Corinthians is very clear, his, his weakness is stronger than our best strength. His foolishness, his stupidity goes beyond our best wisdom. I am not, but I know I am. That is the reality of of encountering 
the Messiah. Jesus is God's Son who has a heart to set us free. With your eyes closed, And I want to invite our prayer team to come and maybe just hang out on these front rows up here. Just people that are here to pray with you. Anyone that has need for that, I I want to open that up. Invite you to come forward and, and find someone here to pray with whatever your need might be. But I'm certain that all of us can connect with this this profound story. He has come to set us free. And, and And I'm certain that some of our biggest hangups, some of our biggest hindrances with this freedom is the I am nots in our lives. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for speaking through your word to us today. And our I am nots come pressing their way to the surface of our beings right now. Maybe for some of us in in this room, the I am nots are overwhelming, they're scary, they're terrifying, they're huge, they're enormous, they're they're deep. They've been a part of us for as long as we can remember. They're deeply, deeply ingrained, embedded. But we can see them and and we know that they're there. We know that they have a tendency to to define us, to shape us. They even drive us. And they'll often rear their ugly heads. We acknowledge today that our I am nots are oppressive and their bondage. And you did not come to bring us into bondage. In fact, the opposite. You came to set us free. And if you came to set us free, then we should be, we should be free indeed. And as we pray today, as we press into you today, I'm asking Holy Spirit that you will begin to accomplish your freeing work in our lives. Whatever that might be.
what you have begun, what you are beginning to do. May you continue that work to its completion. Because we are a people who believe in you. We are a people who buy into you, Jesus. You are God. You are the Son of God. And your death and your resurrection have saved us and have empowered us to overcome. And we are free indeed. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name, we all prayed and everybody said, Will you stand with me? May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he make his face to shine on you. Be gracious to you. May he fill you with his peace. May you experience his overcoming work in your life this week. Have an amazing one. See you next Sunday.
it a dream? Is it real life? Is it a joke? Cause there's not a thing turning out right. Every step I feel like.